Podcast, volume number three, issue number 110. I am DM Vincent alongside DM Nick. <laughs> I guess now you're my Ed McMahon, huh? Yes. Yes, sir. You are correct. Remember you when, are correct, sir. Remember when Phil Hartman did that great impersonation of him on Saturday Night Live? Yes, he did. <laughs> uh, poor Phil Hartman. Anyway, we have a wonderful show for you. And those who are listening for the first time, this podcast is a podcast dedicated to what, Nick? First edition of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, written by Gary Gygax. That is correct. The only, and uh, the original, in case there is another one out there hiding, podcast that is <laughs> promoting first edition Dungeons and Dragons, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. And we will hunt them down and kill them. Now, Take their stuff. Correct. This week we have a very special guest sitting in with us. Special. Special. Isn't he just special? Yeah. He's special. <laughs> we'll be dubbing him a DM this week as our guest DM. His name is Brian Fazekas. Did I say that right, Brian? Yes, you did. Awesome. And he is the editor-in-chief of End Magazine, which you can go to and-mag.com. Am I right, Brian? That's it. And you can download the awesome goodness that this magazine is, and it is a first edition Advanced Dungeons & Dragons-based magazine for free. You head right to the site. They have uh, four issues up, I believe, right now, and two adventure supplements. Yeah, we just published uh, one of our second adventure uh, Saturday, or I'm sorry, Thursday evening. Is it Rage of the Waves, right? Mm-hmm. Rage of the Waves, or Rage yeah. from the Waves. Rage from the Waves, sorry. <laughs> so, Mr. Editor-in-Chief, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how long you've been playing and how you got involved with the magazine... And should clerics be able to use other oh, weapons besides blunt? Jeez. Sorry. Zing. Yeah. I've got the unpopular opinion on that one. Uh, oh. I started playing AD&D in January of 1983. Ooh. And I played uh, in college and then uh, started my own campaign and ran campaigns through, I think it was February of 91. Got married, moved away, boxed up all my stuff, and it sat there in my attic for 14 years, 15 years. And then in 2005, my sons, who at that time were seven and eight, and for whatever reason, I pulled the box out, showed it to them, they got all excited, and suddenly I'm DMing again. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful feeling? It's actually amazing. Yeah, it is, isn't it? And uh, my sons are good players. They're now 15 and 16. We've got a campaign that's been running since then. We've actually run a couple of the campaigns in between. Uh, I got on the internet and I was astounded to find out that there was a, a real strong AD&D community alive. Uh, I got on a number of boards. One of them was Dragon's Foot. Mm-hmm. And for several years, I was uh, one of the editors. Uh, I submitted some material to that. And I was the... Uh, Primary editor for Len Lakofka's L4 Companion. Oh, cool. Oh, outstanding. 
And I'm the, uh, I dubbed myself the project manager for uh, the forthcoming L5 town of Croton, which if all goes well, we're going to be able to publish in another couple of months. Ooh. Now, is that going to be actual published, published, or online, or how's that? It's going to be online. It's a, oh, okay. uh, it's a, Leonard had a number of things that are being done through Dragon's Foot, mm-hmm. and uh, I got involved in that uh, just about a year ago. I mean, we've had a few slowdowns in the process, but uh, the material is 99% of the way there. We've got a little bit of cleanup to do, and uh, we've got a cover artist who's producing uh, uh this is actually going to be three publications. It's oh, somewhere around close to 300 pages. Wow. It's a, it's, it's a tremendous work. I think when people read it, they're probably going to freak. Uh, very detailed. It's uh, about 150 pages of description of the town of Croton and the surrounding areas. Ooh. About 100 pages of five adventures that... In and around Croton, and one of them takes you all the way to hell. <laughs> hopefully, right. hopefully back if things work out. And the third one is uh, we're dubbing that one the Companion, mm. and that's uh, some new information on gods, uh, new cleric abilities, new magic items, some new monsters. It's about thirty pages of basically uh, supplement from Leonard's mind. Cool. Anyways, back to uh, and uh, about uh, close to almost a year and a half ago, uh, Nikki, our publisher, had floated the idea on the Yahoo group, first edition Mm AD&D, about starting a magazine. And, uh, you know, we chatted about it for a little bit, and it seemed interesting. Then January of last year, I I pinged her and said, well, you're still thinking about it. And And I started talking. And then somehow we got Andrew involved. <laughs> Andrew, uh, he and I have, are collaborating on writing some other things that are, you know, if we ever find the time to finish them up, we'll uh, wrap them. <laughs> and he ended up in the mix. And then we ended up uh, with a few other folks. And we decided, yeah, we're going to do it. We put together a game plan, uh, most of which came from Nikki's head. Mm-hmm. She got a... Uh, she had a good idea what she wanted to do. We wanted to do a theme-based magazine where every issue would have a theme that we based most of the content around. We give it, a, you know, we could hit a topic and we could expand upon it and uh, you know really flesh it out. And uh, we looked at the idea of doing it in print, although initially we were going to publish in PDF. So all of our uh, issue, everything we publish is. Uh, Multiples of four for page count, so that if you print it, it prints cleanly. Um, we right. just basically did some research on what it takes to print a magazine and set it up in that fashion. And uh, we went ahead. We picked a theme for our first edition, our first issue, which was low-level adventuring. We figured we're starting out, so we'd uh, mm-hmm. we talk about what it takes to start out, right? Mm-hmm. Which we're going to review later on the sh- uh, the yep. show a little bit. Yep. Few we're going to talk there. about that. Yep. Yep. And uh, we, we assembled a, a good crew, all volunteers. Um, people I mentioned so far, uh, Nicole, Andrew, uh, another editor, Jeremy, mm-hmm. came on board. Ralph is our art director. Uh, Andreas is our cartographer. And that started out our initial group. Right. And we put together several issues. And uh, th- things are still going strong. 
Uh, Jeremy left the fold last October, November. He had just personal life was just uh, killing his free time to be able to work for the magazine. Although if you look at our last two publications, his name is still in the credits. Mm-hmm. Like you talked about earlier about being far ahead on the show. Well, we're trying to be three to six months ahead on material. So stuff that Jeremy edited last fall, we have just published. So you'll see his name still in the masthead. You know, he, okay. he did the work, so we're making sure he gets the the credit for his efforts. He did a really good bang up job. Wow, that's fantastic, and that's good. You, you know, you you try to stay ahead of the, you know of the game a little because you, you never know what other things might come up in life. Because you know, like when we do this show, things come up in life. You know, we're just doing this voluntarily, so it's like you wanna you wanna have maybe a kind of a backlog of material just in case things kind of go weird. Well, the, the so. <laughs> truth be told, I actually hold some blackmail on Nick, so I can have him anytime I want. No, I'm just kidding. Shh, we're not talking. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah, things come up, so a lot of times we record shows two, three at a shot, and. Just put them in the you know the can so we know that we're ready to go in case someone's sick. Oh yeah, you know someone's mm-hmm. sick. You know holiday. You know you know vacation time stuff like that. So it's like and it's good you you, you plan for those sorts of things. Right. And I need to start layout on the magazine a couple of months ahead. Mm-hmm. We're trying to shoot for three months ahead, but we're not quite there yet. Um, because I get the magazine put together. I violate one of the rules of magazines. Like, normal magazines have advertising. Right. And they break articles up so that they get pretty page counts and stuff like that. I always hate when you get to page 85 and you got to jump to page yeah. 120 to finish the article. But we decided <laughs> early on we're not doing that. That's funny because I even when, – now they got the all the uh, previous uh, Dragon magazines at archive.org. Yep. You know, you read some of those early issues. I'm like – why? Why is this is like all over the place? Yeah, <laughs> like, there's a bit of an article here, then it's over here, then it's over here. Yeah, that is annoying. <laughs> so we have space at the end of most articles, so we we stick in. And when we get to the magazine, you know, we'll, we'll look at that and and we stick in magic items, quotes, fake ads, something of either use or entertainment value. Mm-hmm. That sounds interesting. And if I know people are out there going, well, how can I get in contact if I have like an article or what standards do you hold so we can submit something? How would we do that, Brian? Uh, go to our website, mm-hmm. and-mag.com. We've got our uh, guidelines for submissions listed. We've got emails listed. Uh, it's submission at and-mag.com. Anything sent to that address will get to us. Right. And again, we're always looking for new material. So I'm looking on your website here. Uh, you want anything pretty much pre-third <laughs> edition and yeah, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons focus. So what about – this is all one edition, so there's no second edition or anything like that. Well, we're all first edition players. We're all focused around it. Mm-hmm. Although some of our members play kind of a hybrid first, second mm-hmm. uh, I'm willing to steal rules from any place. I actually found some stuff in 4th edition that I've stuck in. And again, no my conversion way. of it's definitely different, but, you know. Oh, um, you lie. <laughs> you know, you can, trust me, you can find something good in any game. You just sometimes have to hunt real dark for it. Yeah, you got to really, really dig sometimes. Okay. But, uh, you know, we're willing to, if we've got good 2nd edition material, we'll print it. Uh, if we got OD&D, which actually covers a pretty wide range of things 
again, most of this stuff is is totally translatable. We're, we're talking going back to my beginnings. I went to a yard sale and I picked up a stack of modules for about five bucks. Wow. And I had no idea what. I mean, I played AD and D. I had no idea what expert D and D was, and there's no internet to hunt, so I didn't know what you know what is this stuff. And I'm looking at it, and it didn't make sense, but I discovered that you know I can I can translate this stuff. So I was doing um, oh I can. It's funny I had the, had it in my mind a short while ago uh, a module it seemed to be based upon Roger Zelazny's uh, Amber series. Oh yeah, but, Castle Amber. Yeah. And uh Oh X three that is, right? Yeah. Yeah, module X three. Shut the yeah, I just, down. Uh, <laughs> I just translated it on the fly and it worked just fine. Ah, most of the stuff you could translate on the fly yeah. from basic and expert, yeah, yeah. Really. So uh you know, we're we're looking for good material, quality material. If it's good, we'll consider it. How about, uh, for example, say someone is writing an article from taking stuff from newer editions and back uh, translating it to first? Would you think that'd be a good article to look at, or that's going to be? It depends. Again, if if they've done a translation so mm-hmm. that it's AD and D compatible, yeah, definitely. Then the answer is probably. Oh, okay. So it's a consideration, but you're not sure. So it's so. it's worth for someone to maybe take a yeah. shot, something like that. We'd okay. have to look at it. Uh, if someone writes. Uh, Something that's going to be more Pathfinder than AD and D, then we probably wouldn't print that. Look, for but, example, we have a lot of fans that say, you know, I play the newer edition, so I have a lot of newer third edition D and D stuff. So how do I translate my third edition Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil module to first edition? I've never really played it. So, say someone takes a crack at that, would you guys consider that, for example? Well, if it's a reprint of the module, we probably wouldn't because that's, well, yeah. Violations, that's pushing yeah. a gray line. If someone wrote an article on how to translate, okay, you've got a monster in uh, – I've got several friends that play Pathfinder. They're mm-hmm. trying to drag me into it, but I just haven't had the time. <laughs> but if someone had a a description of how you take a Pathfinder monster and turn it into AD&D or something like that, uh, yeah. Okay. I so. think we would definitely consider that. Okay, that'd be something to consider. Good. Because I know there's a lot of people out there that like doing those things, and why not? Where's the best place to do it? Your magazine, our podcast. So, yeah. Before we go on to anything else, I just wanted to mention we recently acquired two more volunteers. Awesome. Oh. Tim has signed on as an administrator. Uh, he's handling some of the book work, uh, making sure things are organized, uh, doing yeah. a lot of miscellaneous stuff that uh, – you know, he's getting it off our plates. Is that can't. Tim Cask you're talking about? Oh, no, no. Okay. <laughs> Different Tim. I was saying, okay, uh, another Tim. Okay. If yeah. I had Tim Cask on board, do you think we wouldn't be trumpeting that? Okay. Just yeah. Wondering. I didn't know. I mean, it's like you said Tim. I'm like, Tim Cask? I'm th- I think he's already got a lot of stuff. <laughs> I was going to say he's got a lot of his plate. And yeah. we brought uh, Dan on board as a new editor. Okay. And now uh, we, are, we are truly international. Yay. Oh, yay. So, Three of us are scattered, well, Texas, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania, Calgary, Alberta, Canada, Hamburg, Germany, and now I think it's Sydney, Australia. That's pretty international. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Funny thing is none of the uh, principal members, none of us have ever met. Yeah, I was uh, talking to Nicole the other day, and she said she's never actually spoke to you about any of this other than except emails and correspondence, and that's it. So she's looking forward to hearing your voice. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot of a lot of emails, and uh, yeah. I've done a pretty good job of filling Gmail up. Yeah, 
but okay. uh, yeah, we've never uh, never got together. We we've kind of tossed out a few ideas of maybe getting together at a con sometime. That yeah, would be maybe cool. even just skyping together and just talking too. Yeah, that's a good idea. So that would definitely be a, a thought there. You know, Skype, the international boundaries aren't a problem. Although, uh, with a member in Australia, that does... Well, the time zone difference. A, that's Time zone it. difference, yeah. yeah. In my real life, I manage international teams. Mm-hmm. So I have a team in uh, Chennai, India right now. And the timing for that uh, can be entertaining. <laughs> definitely. There's no such thing as, well, I'm an early bird, so I can do early calls, and it's just late afternoon for them, so that works out. Yeah, they're about, what, 12, 13 hours ahead of us? Uh, ten and a half. Ten, uh, ten and a half, okay. Yeah, they, they've got, uh, I think India it is, and there's a few other places that do half steps on the, the hours. Oh, uh, okay. So they're either ten and a half or eleven and a half, depending on whether or not uh, daylight savings time is in place. Okay. Awesome. Oh, yeah, I do have a note from Andrew not to go easy on you during this interview, so... Oh, Andrew's harassing you? Yeah, he, he told me he was going to harass us all the way through it. He said, That's what friends are for. He told me, Vince, don't go easy on Brian when you interview him. I, do I have the ability to, to like really hard hit people? I didn't know that, but anyway. Yeah, you're you're like, yeah, you're a real hard hitter there. Yeah. That's definitely true. I, I guess I'm like uh, the Alex Jones of podcasting or something. <laughs> That's an interesting comparison. Yeah, I know, right? Yes, consider we're, we're considered the Fox News of podcasting. Remember, Nick? Oh um, yeah. We tell oh, people yeah. what to listen that to. Review. And, yeah. I remember that. <laughs> anyway, uh, so um, yeah, so I guess uh, do we have any stars this week, Nick? Yes, we do. We do have some stars for this week, and just to remind everybody, you can go on to iTunes. And when you go to the iTunes store, type in the search for Roll for Initiative, go to our, and find the Roll for Initiative podcast. And uh, you can download all the previous issues, the current issue from iTunes. Put it on your iPod, your iPad, your iPhone, your iWhatever. And then you can also give us ratings and reviews. And we are up to 152 ratings. Woo! Yeah, 131 with five stars. And we have uh, our last our last review here. Our current one is from Blade Master Lick, spelled L I Q. Uh, okay. <laughs> and uh, he gave us five stars oh. and lessons learned. It says good audio, great pre- great presentation, enjoyable hosts. The information they present is top notch. Though at times they can lose their focus and ramble on. Yeah, well, they're gamers. That's so. Yeah. Nick, did I ever tell you about, about the gaming community? <laughs> Nick, did I ever tell you about the time my character went into this dungeon and uh... and yeah, well, oh, just, never mind. Yeah. I don't want to ramble. <laughs> yes. As a new school gamer, they've convinced me to stop playing the game with too many rules and the clone of the game with too many rules, with even more rules, and huh? focus on a game that shall not be mentioned. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Would love to play a game or two of AD&D First Edition due to this podcast, but sadly, huh. do not have a group nor the time to do so. Keep mm. up the great work. Well, thank you, Mr. Blademaster Lick. And, you know, to find a group, you can always check online. I think we have a forum on our uh, OSR Gaming to um, for uh, looking for gamers. I think we have a section for that. 
and um, there's several other forums that you can go to. I think there's a – isn't there a website that's devoted to stuff like that? I forget. For what, Nick? For, like, looking for other gamers to play certain pen and, stuff. Penandpapergames.com, I think it is. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's also yeah. there's also N World. There's also uh, hmm, I'm trying to think of another place that's very very popular. Now that's probably oh mm, OpenRPG.com things like yeah. that. Yeah. So you oh. know there's lots of places for you to to check to find any people around your area or even you know what doing a game over Skype or uh, mm-hmm. I think was it Roll Twenty. Yeah, Is our buddies at Roll Twenty dot net and uh, EpicWords.net. Yeah, there's so many different places where you could hook up with people. It's it's so much easier now with the technology that you could do this sort of thing. So chances are, if you want to peek out weird hours because of work or school or what have you, chances are you're going to be able to find a few people that fit in with your schedule and you can get a game going. Yeah, word. and that's uh, our latest review. So please keep them coming, and we uh, we appreciate all the reviews that we get. You know, we either, you know, if they're hard critiques or, you know, they're just saying, hey, thanks a lot. You're doing a great job. You know, we, we read them all. We all take them. Uh, we all take uh, whatever we get from you guys. We uh, we try to do our best. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And uh, we have the results from our 10-foot poll that was going on last month. We thank all the people that voted, and uh, And the voters... What? And the winner is... The winner is Luke Gygax. Luke Gygax. Right. We'll be requesting an interview from him after GaryCon, because that's coming up, and he's preparing right now for that. Yeah, that's right. That's in a few weeks. Yeah, so I don't want to bother him right now, because he's in the state of frame of setting things up, doing his communications, you know. He's in the uh, con mode right now, so yes. And Luke is—he's uh, in the uh, uh, Army Reserve, correct? I thought, yeah, that or the National Guard, one of the two. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think Army Reserve, or Army National Guard. I couldn't yeah. remember. He's out in California, I believe. Yeah. And so, obviously, there was some unfortunate news about Ernie Gygax on Facebook. Yes. Uh, his apartment had uh, caught on fire and it burned down. I, I understand that's old news now, but there is a relief fund. Uh, starting up on Facebook, if you just head over to the Gygax magazine or look up Tim Cask on Facebook, you will find the uh, relief fund page, and we'll put that our link in our show notes so everybody's aware of it, and you can go there and help Ernie out because he lost everything as far as uh, all the stuff from his father and all the stuff yeah. he's collected over the years. But thankfully, him and his uh, good old doggy and his uh, roommate got out safely. Yes, yes, and then what we at least what I, I know what I've seen I'm sure you've seen it too is the overwhelming positive yeah. uh, response from the gaming community online has been it's been tremendous you know I saw the Facebook page that was set up um, mm-hmm. I know there was mentions you know you go to Dragon's Foot you go to OSR Gaming yeah. uh, Kenzer and Company everybody said hey this happened to Ernie this is what's going on and this is how you can help so, definitely, and we it's like been to great. Definitely extend our thank you out to the uh, man in the white truck, the knight in the white truck, who helped save uh, Ernie Gygax. Yeah, we don't know who he is, and the guy just basically did his job, saved Ernie, and took off. So, uh, according to that article they posted online, I wonder if they ever found out who that gentleman was. I don't know, but I can tell you that I've I've heard stories like that in the past. You know, where someone just comes out of blue and saves someone from a desperate situation and 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 then they're just they just go away and 
yeah, so definitely if you want to take a look and uh, maybe want to help him out, we'd appreciate it. If not, no, you don't worry about it, but at least keep him in your thoughts. Absolutely. So that's the poll for now, and we'll contact Luke, uh, and uh, let's head over to some Sage Advice. Sage Advice. So should we sing this week, Nick? Oh, absolutely. Sage advice. We got some sage advice. Wait, now we got to get Brian to sing. Cinnamon or other spice. It's a sage advice. We got a lot of voicemails this week, Nick. Uh, Would you say we have a plethora? (laughs) Si, senor. We have a plethora. Uh, We have have about uh, one, two, three, four voicemails this week. That would be a plethora. Yeah. Yeah, it's officially a plethora. We actually do have a lot of emails as well, but um, I think I'm just going to gather them up for another letters to the editor again because we had a lot of fun doing that. Yeah, you know, that's a fun kind of show to do once in a while, you know, just kind of like, you know, just let her hair down and just going to answer a few questions. <laughs> yes. All right, let's get to the first voicemail. Hey, guys, it's the DM Kojo. I wanted to just call in and talk a minute about the uh, premium first edition reprints of the core books. And the Unearthed Arcana that just came out. I uh, really enjoy the Unearthed Arcana. I am super excited that they put the errata in, not just uh, the missing tables that they put in in place of some artwork, but uh, also the fact that they just, you know, put the errata all the way through the book. So the Cavalier is properly marked with D10 good dice instead of D12 and some of these things. So... Um, just makes it overall a um, great improvement, I think, on the original book, which was full of errors and problems. Um, I kind of wish that they'd done more of the errata with the original Player's Handbook and DMG and such. Um, I am a little bummed. It seems that uh, there's a few mistakes that were crept into the new books. I think... Uh, Somebody pointed out that in the reprinted monster manual, dwarves are listed as seven hit dice monsters. Um, obviously, that's a typo. It's supposed to be one hit dice. Um, so it's, it's kind of a shame that you got new errors introduced, but I suppose that's um, kind of inevitable at some point. But overall, i got to say, with uh, owning all four now of the premium reprint books, I'm very happy with them. Uh, and I like the look of them. I like the, the paper quality. I know that Vince has said on the forums that he thought they just really looked kind of off as far as the font and stuff. I can see what he's saying there, um, but it's definitely different uh, font to some slight degree. I don't know if it's the glossy paper darker ink, something that maybe is making it look that way, but uh, I still find them very readable uh, very uh, and very nice looking. I'm, I'm very happy with my purchases of all four of those books in the long run. So hopefully TSR will reprint some more books. My votes are for the Oriental Adventures book would be awesome. And um, maybe the Monster Manual 2 uh, and Team Polio would be nice. So, don't need my Wilderness and Dungeoneering Survival Guides reprinted since they are pretty much in mint condition, as is being that I don't really use them much. So, that's just my two cents on the reprints. 
like to hear what you guys think. If you've had a chance to look at the Unearthed Arcana in more detail, and uh, keep up the good work. Thanks. Bye. All right. Thanks, DM Kojo. We'll definitely contact TSR to uh, print some more. Oh, wait. No, TSR doesn't exist. Well, it does, actually. Actually, it does, yes. <laughs> but that TSR is not printing out a Dungeons and Dragons stuff. So We knew who we meant. Yeah, I, know. I just thought it was funny. He's like, TSR. I'm like, uh, Kojo? <laughs> it's funny, though. I, I'm like, I look up Dwarf and my new monster, and I'm like, I'll be dang. They hit dice seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the mistakes That's that funny. happens. That's funny. But, not, you know, yeah, we were just talking about, before mm-hmm. we were starting the show about, I, I mentioned I got the new Unearthed Arcana reprint, and, yeah, I love it. Mm-hmm. I I really like that they incorporated the errata in the best possible way in that book. And um, I, I love the reprints. I mean, even with the Unearthed Arcana, because we even mentioned in the past how, like, there are people out there, depending on, you know, I guess when they bought their copy. Yeah. Uh, either it's in good shape or it's not. It's either one or the other. So <laughs> I needed one because my binding, the gluing on the binding was really sad shape paper. Pages were starting to come out. So, you know, I'm glad I got a new copy. And, and, and I'm a collector. I'm a completist. What the heck can I say? Yeah, you need to get so, all them books. Yeah. yeah the new I've, ones are beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like them. I really do. And But as far as other uh, printings of other books, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, I go with an Oriental Adventures, definitely. I love uh, mine. That is, would be a good idea. Mine is um, falling apart because I've used that to beat. It my, to actually, death. mine's in good shape. <laughs> Probably never used it. I, I very uh, hardly. Yeah, yeah, that is true. That was um, uh, Oriental Adventures was uh, the staple of the Great Joe DM campaign. <gasps> the Great Joe DM, <laughs> Brian. Do you know about the Great Joe DM? No, can't say that I do. Uh, well, well, let Andrew tell you sometime. He's a long-term listener, so. Yes. <laughs> okay. But, uh, I don't. I don't know about any other reprints as far as the other books. I know they're reprinting a couple of the uh, module series. So, yeah, the S series, the A series. Uh, I know uh, on the uh, the uh, PDF releases that they have now. You can. They have Monster Manual Two, Fiend Folio. Of course. So you could get all those on PDF. Well, I would like to see Fiend Folio reprinted. I to would be too. Honest. Yeah, yeah. I I, I like Fiend Folio. Yeah. I I think that would be a logical step in in my opinion as like, you know, let's get another monster book reprint cuz they only did one print of Fiend Folio. That was the only book out of the original of uh, the first iteration of those books before 1983. Mm-hmm. That didn't get the new uh, orange binding style. You know what would actually be really cool? Get a, get an original Deities and Demigods book with the Cthulhu mythos. Yeah, with the Cthulhu and Melanobonian mythos. Now, they yeah. have the Deities and Demigods out there on the PDF site. Is it the one it with it? But it doesn't no? have Cthulhu and Melanobonian mythos in it. Wow. I was, I was lucky enough... Uh, several years ago, I, I think it was I think it was at Gen Con in 2006. I picked up one of those copies. It was like 45 bucks. Uh, yeah. But you know what? That's how much it probably it would sell for today, anyway. True. So yeah. Yep. So well, I got was mine uh, at a yard sale along with other modules. Oh God, we're talking. Oh 19. man, you got yours at a yard sale. Man, yeah, I wow. paid oh probably about twenty dollars for a stack of modules and two or three of the books. 
Oh, nice. <laughs> that would have been about circa 1980. Yeah, summer of 83. Wow. I actually yeah. had an. Oh, sorry, Brian. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I didn't know for years that I got lucky that I got the original DDG. Oh, nice. Yeah. I had an interesting pickup this week when I went to Half Price Books, Nick. I meant to tell you about this. Uh, oh, yeah. What'd you get? I got the original Dungeon Master's Guide revised edition printing. Is which, it the orange? Uh... It's got the orange leaf inside. The orange leaf? It's, it's, I know there was a printing where the inside of the cover was like an orange paper. Uh, this is the sixth, the, the sixth printing. Oh, okay, okay. Revised is the sixth printing I found out. But anyway, the one Sorry. thing that really caught my eye about this original cover one, obviously, sixth printing, was that the first 32 pages were upside down and backwards. You got that one. Yeah, I thought it was really cool to get that one. Yeah, cool. you know, that's funny you mentioned there was a printing like that. Yes. And there was another one, I think, where the first, I forget how many pages of the DMG were actually pages of the Monster Manual. Yes, that was the other mistake they had, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I went to, uh, what's the... Uh, collector's forum that they have out there. The case sim or whatever? Yeah, that's it. I went there and they said it's not worth anything. No. But I thought it'd be, you know, just kind of cool to have it when I the picked novelty. it up. Yeah. yeah. I said, hey, I wasn't going to sell it, but I thought maybe it was worth something because it was kind of cool, like even a talking piece or something. Yeah. But yeah, that was my cool find and I got that's it for, cool. for four bucks. Hey, what the heck, right? And it was in perfect condition too, so. Wow. Anyway, so let's head over to our next uh, our next uh, voicemail. Here we go. Hi, this is DM Adam from Illinois. I was calling with a question for you guys. Um, I hear that Will and uh, DM Vince play uh, Pathfinder from time to time, and I was wanting to know um, why Pathfinder gets some of the love, whereas uh, 3.5 doesn't get any when the games are essentially the same kind of game. I mean, I know there are differences, but... Um, basically, um, the core elements of the game are the same. I was wondering uh, if you guys could elaborate on that. I think that'd be an interesting, uh, interesting bit. So keep up your work on the show, and thanks a lot. Bye. Uh, so Pathfinder, yeah, I do kind of play Pathfinder every once in a while, and we do. I do translate a lot of their stuff back to first edition. I could do it on the fly. I've been doing. Some adventures, as far as uh, the Carrion Crawler adventures with the Haunted, it's their version of uh, Ravenloft. And I could take the adventure and read it and then just on the fly convert it to first edition. It's not really that hard, but I guess. So, what experience. are the real differences between like D&D 3.5 and Pathfinder? There's no real. Well, the grappling system's different. Uh, the, some of the classes are a little bit different. Uh, was it Paizo took it and kind of really like made it their own baby? Yeah, mm -hmm. you know we're using D twenty license. Obviously, they just kind of took it and went ha ha, and they took something. You know, did they just like a little better organization? Or? Yeah, organized okay. it better. They made they cleared up a lot of rules that were kind of like just crunchy and annoying. Mm -hmm. I, I I like Pathfinder a lot because it reminds me of uh, it has that first edition feel to it. Oh, just the way that the presenting the style and the writing and. They're all very nice at Paizo. I've written them a bunch of times, and they, they write back, even as far as up as uh, Eric Mona. So, Oh, wow. Yeah, they all write back. Yeah, I've yeah I've seen, you know, I haven't played a Pathfinder game. I'd be interested in playing it, you know. 
And I as mean, far as no, no love, I, I stopped playing D&D after 3rd. Mm-hmm. 3rd edition was my break point, and when 3.5 came out, that's when I threw the books down and said, no, I will not buy anymore. Because <laughs> I thought that was kind of ridiculous, but mm-hmm. 3.5 after reading, it was really crunchy, and it was just like, ugh, no thanks. I understand it's the same thing as Pathfinder, but no, not really. Hmm. But as far as... Um, uh, Will's perspective on that, you'd have to ask him on Facebook as he's uh, parted from us right now, so unfortunately. So that's a lot to say about that. <laughs> Brian, you don't have okay. any exposure with Pathfinder, right? Uh, I've got a friend that plays it. has been trying to get me into it. Um, literally haven't had the time. I, I'd try it. Yeah. Although uh, I looked, when I got back into D&D in 2005, Mm-hmm. I was in the store and I was looking at the 3.5 books and I started adding it up and I realized I'd have to spend at least 200 to get started in that. Yeah. And I'm looking at my box of books at home. I was like, you know, I think they work just fine. Yeah. yeah. It's not software. It doesn't go out of date. No, never. It's just whatever you make of it pretty much. Yeah. yeah I, I can understand that. Same thing. It's like, do I want to plop down X amount of dollars on a new, new game that I'm not sure I'm going to enjoy? But so I, really I, do, do that. I do have to say the Pathfinder books are beautiful. Yeah, they are. I've seen them, and they're very well done. They're 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 modules. They're they're uh, adventure paths. Very well done. I, every time I look at them, I'm like, whoa! Like one of those. I just really like their style. Whoa. Yeah, whoa, whoa, yeah, <laughs> like Bill and Ted. Whoa, whoa! I could do kung fu. Yeah, dude. Uh, yeah, so. Check it out. I had something else to say, but I just can't remember it at this time. Just lost you. You just went, whoa, and you lost it. Oh, well. Yeah, the uh, mentality went right out the window there. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty much the take. Oh, I knew what I was going to say. There are two podcasts you can listen to out there. One is part of the D20 Radio Network, which we're also a part of. The Pathfinder Podcast, Chronicles of the Pathfinder Podcast, Chronicles of the Pathfinder Podcast which is a podcast that comes out once a month. Their podcast lasts about four to five hours. If you could sit through four to five hours at one shot. That's a lot of of podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But they're very well produced, very well done. Uh, They go in depth as far as they have a player section and a GM section of the podcast. And they actually warn you, if you're a player and don't want to know about this as a GM perspective, please stop listening. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, they actually do that. They take the time. That's cool. And there's also 3.5 Sanctuary, another podcast out there that uh, is not part of any network that I know of, but they do cover Pathfinder quite a bit, as well as 3.5, since uh, that guy mentioned 3.5. So there's some sources for you. And we'll plop those in the show notes uh, once we uh, get the show out there. No, we won't, because I didn't say it. No, I'm kidding. Oh, okay. (laughs) Fine. Yeah, we'll plop them in the show notes, of course. Oh, now that you say that, you didn't give me (laughs) (laughs) No, Nick, I'm kidding. Let's let's go to our next voicemail. What do we have now? Hi, my name is Kenneth, and I just listened to the episode about Paladins. And I wanted to say thank you. Uh, At the beginning of the episode, uh, a lot when hearing kind of the horror stories about the paladins, my first thought was, well, why bother? You know, it, it, it made me think that uh, maybe just sticking to the four root classes is a better approach. But by the end of uh, Nick's explanation, uh, I too was kind of excited about it. And the thing I wanted to share in terms of getting into paladins or really any character and, and just the root of getting into role playing games as a whole is find examples in fiction 
that you embrace and can, can inspire you. And the, of course, the first example that leaps to mind is Luke Skywalker as a paladin, uh, which even falls in with a mentor being Yoda. Uh, and I know that may, may strike as silly, but, but uh, if he if he gives into any urges to do evil things, then he crosses over to the dark side, which is kind of like obeying your alignment or risk losing your powers. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Darth Vader is the anti-paladin. Kind of makes sense too. Um, and so, but there's other examples as well. And, and something that could be a good example of paladin-like behavior um, is shows and movies where uh, you have guys who have to restrain what they want to do in terms of what would be a common idea of justice in order to uh, do the right thing and bring them in that sort of thing. And so there's. And so I would just encourage people who are interested in playing paladins to uh, to find examples in fiction and and model that until the character takes a life of its own in their role playing experience. Um, and then I was going to post some house rule thoughts to you. Uh, if you have someone who's never played a paladin before, uh, maybe have them start as a fallen paladin, which is basically a fighter who has to earn it, um, or take it so that you know through role play. Uh, and, and, and adventuring, they, they prove that they can be a paladin without a paladin abilities, then they become a paladin. And, and, or, uh, or also, maybe just for grins and giggles, make the paladin like the bard, where someone has to start off as a cleric and then dual class to fighter, and then when they, when they match up, then they're a paladin. That sort of, and I just want to see you guys talk about that. Once they love the show. Thank you so much for work. Um, wish you the best. Take care. All right, thank you very much. Obviously, the end of that phone call got a little uh, jumbled up there because of the uh, connection, probably of the phone and everything. But Cobalt's playing with the phone line. Yeah, yeah. I, there I, they I go to, again. They say there's only one flaw in his Luke Skywalker philosophy. When you turn to the dark side, you still have your Jedi powers. You just become, you know, the Sith or a dark side user. So you still have but your powers. You don't lose them. I, I still like his the the concept though. It's still yeah. looking towards. Uh, things in in you know fiction, either in movies or in books, mm-hmm. comic books, you know whatever, that you can use that as kind of a template mm-hmm. for a paladin character. I guess you could even talk about cavaliers to the point too. The reason why I was thinking cavaliers is like his idea, how, like how one could become a paladin. Like you know maybe mm-hmm. he's a men his mentor is another paladin and he didn't really start off as one maybe he just started off as like a fighter or something maybe mod- you know how they had that like the zero level um part of a cavalier you got those first two zero level areas for a cavalier maybe you can modify that for paladin didn't they you know, wipe that- those out with the errata I don't believe so. I think they're still in the the book. I mean, oh, okay, can... maybe it was the uh, classing they wiped out. You had to be middle class or something instead of anything else. No, they still have the uh, the uh, the sub experience levels for cavaliers, the horseman and the lancer. <sighs> yeah. yeah, that's still there. So maybe you can use that as a kind of a, a way for someone to become a pal and they have to earn their way into it. I kind of like that idea. Well, you have to earn it. Well, the great Joe DM. <gasps> just twice in one uh, podcast. Oh, <laughs> the great Joe DM. When I played in his campaign and we had Cavaliers and he made me start as actually a page. Oh. And then I worked oh. my way up to a squire. squire. Yeah, and then I was able to become a Cavalier. That's cool. Yeah, so it was kind of interesting how he did that. He had me start at the negative levels, obviously, and work my way up. 
yeah, I think that's another way to do it. Maybe not so much as a progression like he suggested, like uh, a, a bard type of route where you start off as a f- cleric then maybe move to fighter, you dual class, and then you become a paladin. I think that would take a little too long, but I think a nice medium would be like those zero-level sections, the cavalier, if you have the unearth arcana, you just plop that onto the paladin class and you could do the same thing. I wouldn't. That would be really cool. I don't think I'd knock it up for a new player to do, though. I'm not sure about that. Yeah, maybe not. But uh, you know, it, it's it's an idea. If that's something you feel like that's you know be good for your campaign. Uh, but I like the idea. You know, looking in in popular fiction, you know, sci- either sci-fi or fantasy. You know, for you know a template for a paladin. I think the look Luke Skywalker was a good example. I'm, I can't think of any other ones. Uh, well, I know. What was it? The book uh, Three Hearts and Three Lions." Mm-hmm. Isn't that the real supposedly the, the inspiration for it? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Three Hearts and Three Lions. If you could find that book, I don't even know if it's in print anymore. Uh, but, probably. Uh, probably find it out on Kindle. Yeah, yeah probably. Probably. What are your thoughts on this, Brian? Um. <laughs> On the I'll be honest with you. Thirty years ago, I'd probably say cool, but right now, playing time, even with uh, my players living in the same house, is sometimes so seldom that I don't think I'd find time to do that much development on a character just to get them the first level. Right. Mm-hmm. True. Uh, maybe it sounds like a, a cool background idea, story. Then maybe. Yeah, more more like a background story. Mm-hmm. All right. It's a cool idea. Just uh, reality. Interferes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That happens. Understandable. So we have one more voicemail left. We'll play that one for you. Hey, RFI guys. Um, I'm calling to uh, talk about a couple of things. Uh, first of all, you do have a great show. Really enjoy it. Especially the mailbag. Sage advice letter to the editor shows. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, anyway, uh, my question is... Uh, I don't know, a few issues back, um, DM Will talked about Osric when he was talking about various retro clones, and I, I just wanted to clarify, or I, I don't know, but Osric really isn't. I mean, I ordered one, and it's great. It's a great, you know, replacement for the books if your books are old or you just need an extra copy, and it's easy to, I mean, it's it's pretty much first edition. All they did was change a couple of the names uh, so that, you know, they don't get in trouble with Watsy. And I was just I was just wondering what you thought on that about using Osric materials or if you've looked at any of them. And uh, other than that, I want to thank you for introducing me to DM Scotty's craft. Very useful. Mm. Beginning to use that in my game. And lastly, what was I going to say? <laughs> Oh, yeah, the uh, Hearst Art thing that DM Will was doing, the the Palace of the Silver Princess. I wonder, I'm wondering if he ever completed that, and if he did, what can I look at it? I want to look at the pictures and see how that turned out. Thanks, and keep up the great work. You guys are you guys are great. Bye bye. 
All right, thank you very much. Uh, Brian, if you haven't checked it out, you can go on YouTube and check out the uh, DM Scotty's Dungeon Craft uh, segments. He takes cardboard and he makes all these wonderful little landscapes you can use for your game and your minis for your first edition or third, second, whatever edition. It's edition neutral. It's a lot of fun. That sounds cool. I'll have to look for that. Yeah, he just uses cardboard, spray paint, glue, and whatever's laying around the house pretty much at the time. That's pretty sweet. As far as Audrey's concerned, yeah, it's it's an if you are new to the game and you don't have the money to invest in the game, go ahead and go pick it up from the Knights and Knaves Alehouse. It's perfect to just to see if you like the game or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if you like the game, definitely go grab the actual books because they're not that expensive. But to test it out, yeah, go download Osric. It's a fine, uh, a fine game that they they took and and they printed out for you. It made it easier to understand. They house ruled a lot of things that they felt needed to be changed as far as understanding things. They cluded up a lot of questions, possibly listening to what Gary has said over the years. So yeah, we, we don't count it out. Go take a look at it uh, if you're interested and. Uh, as far as he asked about Will's comments on that, I know Will wasn't a fan favorite of that, so we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I, uh, I've i been a major league fan of Osric since it came out. I've got the Black Blade printing, which is probably one of the prettiest books out there that I've ever seen. Mm. Yeah, I heard and, about that one. It's very well done. For my- uh, it's, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. And it's funny because that's on my bookshelf, and I've got a three-ring. Uh, I printed it double-sided and three-ring uh, punched it. Three hole punched it, and that's what I use. Well, as much as I use any book at the table, I've got that handy as well as the original books. Nothing beats Gary's prose. Yeah, but when you're trying to figure something out, his prose is well. That's the one time it's not the best. Yeah, and Ostrich, you it normally makes sense. I do want to point out that if you're really a big Gary Gygax fan and you just love whatever he does, which a lot of people do. And I myself, you can go find Adventures Dark and Deep by Joseph Block. Uh, he put out the what Gary wanted to do with first edition after he had a chance to write some more before he got pushed out of TSR. I believe those were on Kickstarter for a while, and I believe they went to print finally as an actual three-volume set. So you can take a look at those. I think they're free to download still. They might be as PDFs without the artwork. So check those out. And if you want to contact us, you can contact us by writing it at rfistaff at gmail.com. Voicemail line 570-865-4210, the hotline. That's right. Seven hit dice dwarves are standing by. (laughs) Oh, boy. Anyway, so we're going to get into the meat of the show, and we'll head into some table matters next. Typical of all the evil creatures in the world. I'd like to find one with table manners. What are you kidding me? I've spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. So for table manners this week, we're going to take a look at the End Magazine edition, volume one. Well, the summer edition, 2012, issue one. Yep. Which would be volume one, so. Yep. <laughs> summer 2012. So you were saying, Brian, before, you would take, take, take each magazine and make a theme and then base everything pretty much around that theme in the magazine. And for this issue, you based it around low-level adventuring. Yeah, it was our inaugural issue, and we were tossing around ideas, and it just seemed to make sense. Our first issue, well, let's let's yeah. talk about how to start things out. And we hit this from the point of view of the players and the DM. Mm-hmm. And we, I think we covered a, a lot of ground with this one. 
Yeah, uh, so just to go over it real quickly before we start reviewing it, they talk about the ecology, uh, the ecology of the carrion crab. Uh, they go about talking about uh, gathering at a smoky tavern, uh, advice on keeping first-level parties alive. There's balanced character generation, uh, a bonus article about 85 points for the mathematically challenged, which I kind of love that article title. Great one. And uh, they talk about the Savage Kobold, and uh, is Lola Adventures is heroic or not. There's also DM and player quotes scattered throughout the magazine, which gives it that awesome book feel. Uh, random map, which is also really cool. And uh, overall impressions of the magazine we'll do first. Uh, mine was, it felt like an old dragon magazine to me. Nick, what do you think? Uh, I think you uh, hit the nail on the head there. I mean, it felt like a, you know, one of the older issues of, of, of Dragon. And I I like that, um, that each uh, issue is going to have a particular theme around it. And uh, I, I thought this was a really good uh, uh, start. I particularly liked the uh, that Savage Cobalt is low-level AD&D heroic or not. I thought that was a fantastic article. Mm-hmm. I, I think anybody who wants to, who has arguments about is AD&D heroic or not, they need to read that article so they can, yeah. so they can, um, you know, have some positive uh, feedback. Uh, you give someone some, uh, you know, this is the reasons for this. You know, this is how AD&D works. You know, so, uh, give a good argument, if you will. Mm-hmm. So. But overall, yeah, I lo- I love the uh, <laughs> the one uh, fiction gathering at the Smoky Tavern. That one I kind of cocked my head at. Yeah, <laughs> I was reading that. I'm like, wow, you know what? It does sound kind of weird. <laughs> if if I was like, it's like the fly in the wall perspective. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. in a way, because you have the barmaid and she's hearing all these conversations. It's from the from her point of view, and you know, now like I'm I'm looking. I'm like, wow, that would sound weird to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I really like this stuff. I mean, um, it has a little bit of everything, which is it's got the best of, of really both things. You got an overall theme, but it's got a little bit of everything based on that theme inside an issue. Yeah, just overall great stuff. Yes, definitely. And uh, the editor in chief, Nicole, who was Nicole, was the editor in chief in the beginning, like you said, Brian. Yes. And she has a great lead-off article explaining how things are going to be set up and what to expect from the magazine. So definitely take the time to read that over. It's really good. And then I like the different little things scattered around, like the lantern there, <laughs> Fresno yeah, lantern. Yeah, I was just wondering. Uh, there's no experience point value, so I'm like. Uh, certain things we looked at this and, you know, we put it together and we got it out the door and then we go back to it and we look at it and go, you know, it would have been nice to have gold piece and XP values for that. And, uh, that'll be an errata in a later issue. Yes. (laughs) Or we may just throw an article out on the uh, website. Yeah. Something people can download. And, uh, from the beginning, we tossed out the idea of doing best of, Mm Mm-hmm. And we, we figure, well, let, let's think big. If we die a real quick death, first level, well, then we don't have to worry about it. We'll be dead. <laughs> but if, if things work out, let's, let's think about, okay, what are we going to do? And we, we've tossed up the idea of doing a best of the monsters, uh, best of the magic items, uh, just 
Yeah. Just tossing ideas out. And oh, I can see where, uh, you know, the XP values, gold piece values would be handy. And every time we look back at an issue, no matter how happy we are at it, we, later on we find something, well, we could have done that better. But well, if we don't get better, then we're, you know, we're not gaining experience. And But, you know, even if they're out of there, it's like any good DM would like, okay, I'll sign my own XP values and my own gold piece values for these. That's yeah. no big deal. Yeah. Yep. I do that probably half the time anyways. Yeah, so – yeah, I I really like that um, uh, that heroic or not AD and D heroic or not, and the uh, the the only other <laughs> there was one. Uh, what, I think it's the keeping first level parties a lot. Oh no, starting at level one, why bother? Well, that one I wasn't so sure about. I read the article. I was like, <laughs> well, let's get to that in just a second, Nick. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah, jumping too far ahead there. (laughs) Let's uh, take a look at the uh, tactical studies reviews for novices by Vince Lethal. What sounds like a really good wrestler name? Yes, (laughs) I looked at him like, yeah, that's an awesome wrestler name, Vince Lethal. Vince is the moderator for the Yahoo Group First Edition D and D. Oh, is he? I didn't know that. Okay. Yep, and uh, that's where Nicole and I met. Oh, okay. That's she's uh, she's been there, I think, since the beginning, and I've been part of that for. Probably four or five, maybe six years. I'm not even sure how long it's been. Oh, wow. That's uh, why when I signed up there and I said hi, someone was like, Vince, did you change your email address? I was just like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> wrong Vince. Yeah, wrong one. <laughs> so anyway, uh, this article pretty much goes over uh, the game and gives you a lot of good advice about your combat, about what you could pick up as a character. It gives you ideas for the classes. Um, I don't know, but I think maybe he went into a little too much detail because he did mention as in real life in one of the articles as a quote. And I was just like, you know, it's not really real life. You can't compare this to real life. But I guess for that particular section about carrying equipment, uh, yeah, maybe that makes common common sense for that. But it does go into a lot of ideas what to do with the money as far as uh, when you're starting a party out. Obviously, a magic user doesn't need a lot of money when he starts out, but a fighter does. And what's a fighter's main job, Nick? Kill things. And? Take their stuff. And? Go and get beer and wenches. <sighs> Keep the bad guys away from the spell users. Oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> so what better yet to do than have a fighter with awesome weapons and awesome armor? So why wouldn't the magic just say, you know what? Here's, you know, 30 gold. I'll loan it to you for now, and you can pay me back later when we find more gold. Charge them interest, whatever. You can do whatever you yeah, want. Yeah. But th- I thought that was a clever idea, and I've never really seen players do that. They really should get together and kind of pool their money. But everyone's always like, ha-ha, I'm by myself, so. Uh, a funny thing that my sons do is, uh, and again, we play with just the three of us, a lot of stuff... Raising dead, training, that all comes out of party funds before they divvy it up. Because they consider it essential to the party as a whole to progress or, you know, to survive. And they look at it from a common community point of view. That's funny. My group, when we had a death, uh, when I was playing uh, a Mulvey edition, uh, they were... The players all were like, well, you know, he died, so let's take his gold and use his gold <laughs> instead of let's split it together and see what we can help out, one of those things. So I guess it all depends on the players. Yep. Uh, some interesting 
uh, things about druids, how they could be useful in the group and clerics as far as, you know, they're not really fighters, frontline fighters, but they are backup fighters. But I don't know. I kind of agree, disagree with that because fighters can hang there with uh, fighters. Sorry, clerics can hang there with fighters just as well. They're, oh, sure, they're especially when they yeah. get in the higher levels. Absolutely. Even in the beginning, they're they're like a battle tank almost. So Yeah, yeah hit uh, potential is the same. Yeah. yeah. Their hit points are a little bit lower, but, you know, if you start at first level with maximum hit points like I do, and I think, Nick, you might do that as well. Yep, I sure do. They can sit there and take a hit or two. or Not like my magic user. In one campaign, I had two hit points because the DM made me roll. <laughs> <laughs> That's pointless. Well, even better yet, the fighter of the group had three hit points. <laughs> That's even more pointless. Yeah, I was. I said to the DM, I said, why don't you at least do the, you know, like, some people do. They give the average of the class. He's like, no, you have to roll. That's how the book says. I'm like, eh. Well, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I do agree that uh, the magic users and illusionists... Uh, illusionists usually do get a short end of the stick a lot, and they're hard to play. Yeah, they are. The, they Their spell repertoire is very limited, so yeah, it's, it's tough for them. I've actually sat and written out some illusionist spells just to make uh, people more interested in Illusionist class. Yeah. I'll throw some of them your way, Brian, so you can take a look at them. Maybe you'll throw one on the sidebar or something, just as something cool and to fill up some space. Yeah, there. Oh, definitely. We're yeah. always looking for new material. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and, and I know, like, even later on when Unearth Arcana came out, there were some more um, Illusionist spells, but it just really didn't yeah. give the class a lot of oomph. I think the best way to play like the illusionist is is when you have a gnome and you play illusionist thief. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you that's know, pair true. it up with another class like that. It's pretty cool. Um, the, the one thing that always confused me about illusionists is they always allude to they don't actually say out straight out that illusionists have these weird ways of weird way of putting things on paper. So it's kind of hard to tell if they actually have a spell book or not. So yeah. That's the one thing I always got confused about, but I always deem that they have some type of spell book, and yet they have their own crazy language, yeah. I thought this was a really good article, even though, yeah. even at the beginning, he says that it's really for, you know, this tended for new players. I, I read through this, and I thought there were some really good, you know, nuggets of information, even for a veteran player that yeah, you might yeah. not have thought of before. Yeah, and, you and, know, and yeah, go ahead, Nick, I'm sorry. Oh, I just like the thing with the... Uh, he was talking about like the wine skins. Why have one big wine skin that holds five gallons? Why not have five wine skins that hold one gallon each? You're, you're going to reduce the risk of losing the one, you know, wine skin that has, um, you know, a whole bunch of stuff in it, or, or <laughs> using wine skins to hold potions. So you don't have to r- risk the uh, worrying about potions bottles yeah. breaking. Yeah. I'm like, I never thought about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's also um, the, the the fact about spellcasters that have scrolls that a lot of players forget that, you know, once that scroll hits the water, <laughs> forget about it. That's right. It's uh, no longer going to be usable because you're not going to be able to read that thing anymore. Nope. So uh, any inside information about that article, Brian, you could tell us? Um, not really. It's just... Uh... We were talking things out, and Vince tossed that one over the wall. He was part of the uh, initial discussions, mm-hmm. and it uh, we read through the article, and it seemed like a really good fit in terms of, you know, 
how do you keep a character alive? And he had one take on it, and we've got other articles that have a different take mm-hmm. on the whole process. And again, we, we've had feedback. We, we had uh, people who've been DMing for 30-plus years, read the, article, read the whole issue, and just said, I, I've been playing for 30 years. I don't need to know how to do low-level parties. And we've had people who said, I've been DMing for 30 years. I've got a bunch of newbies. I'm making them read the issue cover to cover. Mm. Newbies. Just, yeah. Definitely have yep. to say with newbies, the first thing that you should ever look at with a newbie for this game is that the primer for old-school gaming. Yeah. By oh uh, Matt Cinch. That's a great reference. Yeah, definitely find that and have them read that first of all, just to you know get acquainted with the game. I think I had that primer. You're gonna have to email that to me again. I think I lost it, but that's that's just a great read in itself, even for a veteran gamer. I love reading that. Nick, that gets you, me psyched for a game. If you just Google primer for old school gaming, it's the first hit, so you can find it very. Easily. Oh, I'd rather have you do it for me. No, I will not. <laughs> <laughs> I refuse. You're not getting a copy. Too bad. Very well, I'll find it myself. Yes, work on your own. Yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> and then, yeah, so that's pretty much that article. And then we have this article about this from this Brian guy. I have no idea who he thinks he is, talking about low-level, keeping first-level uh, parties alive. Pfft, Brian. Yeah, TPK and all. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no. So, uh, Brian, why don't you give us a little background about this article, since you're the one that wrote this one. Well... It was. Uh, I wrote this independently of Vince's article. Right. And when we got together, we were t- chatting through it, and it was basically the same general idea, but from a different point of view. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just went through, and I was listing all the things I would tell a new player to do, you know, to keep their characters alive. And uh, well, a couple of years ago, both of my sons took their hand at DMing. And I was giving them suggestions, and I just went back through my mental notes and just started jotting things down. And then there, you know, there's a lot of online discussions. You get people who are rabidly, uh, whatever the dice say, you know, kill all the characters, yeah, don't, don't worry yeah, about they it. They don't fudge anything or anything like that. Yeah, well, yeah I mean, I think one of Gygax's main things was use a DM screen so you can always change the number in case you need to. Yep. And I got a quote from Frank Menser I use pretty regularly in my SIG, which is, I use the dice, they don't rule me. Yes, exactly. And again... Sounds uh, sounds like a Frankian. Yep. I see online people talking about parties, and someone's character keeps getting killed over and over again, and they get disgusted and quit. It's like, you know, it's no fun, you can't build anything. You don't want to make it easy, but... as I'm fond of saying, any idiot can kill a PC. I mean, the DM is God. So yep. make it a challenge, but make it interesting and give them a chance. Although, uh, if you look at the sidebar on page 14, you can't fix stupid. Yeah, um, yeah, I read that. That's actually really good. When uh, when someone wants to kill their character, I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. So you just say, okay, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a really good point in that article where it's like, like you're already saying, it's like you want to be you want to be fair, but you want to pose challenges. That's the part of like playing the whole game. If it's too easy, then why even play? You yep. want to have a you know uh, there has to be some sense of suspense and and you know maybe death around every corner, but it shouldn't be insurm- insurmountable unless they do something stupid. <laughs> yep. And Which, when I yeah. say, are you sure you want to do that? And they say yes, it's like, okay. Yeah, that was kind of like the warning right there. Yeah. <laughs> My party gets tipped off by when I when they want to do something, they go, 
Okay. And they're like, uh-oh. <laughs> have, you, have you been one of those you – know, I think everybody who's been a DM has been at one point or another where, like, someone in that party says, yeah, w- w- we should do this, this, and this, and this, and then we're going to do this. And and then they say it again. I'm like, okay, let me get this straight. You want to do – and you say it out loud, like – Okay, so you're going to go and you're going to do this and this and this and this? Are you sure? I will do that with you. They hear it back to themselves. They're like, you know, after hearing it from your mouth, (laughs) it doesn't sound like a good idea. (laughs) I will do that for brand new players, but an experienced player, I just go, okay. (laughs) And that should be their tip off to either change their mind before I start rolling dice or let the dice fall where they fall. Yeah, I, I'm I'm like that. It's like, are you sure you want to do that? Yeah. Okay. No tap X. <laughs> uh, yeah, so then there, uh, you give some basic tips about uh, pulling punches, pulling, maybe changing the dice around. Uh, there's some things about how death is. Okay, you know, what happens? What are you going to do? Maybe the party can gather up and help the player get back on his feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some uh, info about uh, character generation. Which was kind of interesting. What'd you think about that, Nick? Of uh, the uh, how not to kill parties. Yes, how not to kill parties. I, I kind of like, um, you know, just like all, I think I like doing the max hit point thing with Constitution bonus. Yeah, I mean, I think that helps tremendously, especially when you're talking about the magic user. I mean, who wants to play a magic user? You roll hit points, you get a one, and you have no combos. <sighs> And what's your spell? Sleep? You're done. I mean, yeah. why do that? Or, um, or random roll light. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen I've seen the kind of death point uh thing used from time to time. Um but I but you'd also mention in the, the, the article that where A D and D really had the thing where your, your actual death is at minus ten. Yep. Yeah. So I think that's a good rule. I think people f- uh forget that one. There are some people that say, okay, your character's at zero points dead, done. Well, not really. He's kind of unconscious. He's kind of at death's door. So. Yeah, the, the con, where, like you put it in, uh, where is that, at the end of the article? Uh, Using Constitution. Yeah, to, Constitution, you say if they're 18, they can go to negative 18. I remember reading that, I think, in the newer edition. I think D&D Next actually has that rule right now, mm-hmm. which I don't really like personally, but if it works for somebody else, sure. You know, people, uh, I read that online in, in an AD&D forum. Uh-huh. Someone had done that. And again, I I don't do that myself, but again, I tossed out something here. Well, one thing that I went into this entire venture as, like you mentioned early on that this resembles the uh, the dragon pretty yeah. heavily. Yeah. Well, one of my big inspirations for this was the dragon under Tim Cask's tenure. Right. Okay. And he's uh, he's got a, a long Q and A on Dragon's Foot, and even if you don't register with Dragon's Foot, it's worth you know it's available to read. It's worth reading. There's a lot of chaff there, but there's also a lot of good stuff. And he talked about printing things that he personally disagreed with, right. either to challenge people or to uh, you know someone might find it of use. So I, I put in things here that I wouldn't necessarily do myself, but somebody else might. Right. And that's a good way to go because. You want to have all opinions out there, even if they're not your own. Well, that's how the whole Unearthed Arcana came about anyway, so... Yeah. Gary printed stuff that people wanted, and he didn't necessarily agree with everything, but 
Also, he, in '85, TSR needed money, but hey, uh, big we time. Don't, we don't mention that. Okay. Anyway, oh, yeah, he was busy doing the cartoon, so it wasn't his fault. So we move on. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, so the article goes on about magic items, uh, starting at higher levels as opposed to first level. Uh, I've toyed around with this idea a little bit as far as uh, making maybe, maybe making the magic user second level, just so he'll have a better chance of an extra spell. Uh, sometimes I've done it that the the clerics get an, uh, an extra spell at first level, just a healing spell extra. Yeah. Well, one way I did around the get around that a little, I think I, I I know I've mentioned in the past is I, at least in my game, I give the same bonus spells per level for magic users as uh, uh, clerics do. You get the wisdom bonus, uh, but you do it for yeah, intelligence. Yeah, I use intelligence, and yeah. I use that same chart. I always wondered why they never did do that for magic users. Yeah, I never understood that either. I yeah. to me that makes sense. You would I think. think it was a problem. I knew I read something about this sometime in the dim past. The big problem is the magic users just being too powerful, and their their spells, I mean, compared to the other classes, just kick butt. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, I find from my own experience, having a magic user who has to do some hunting and scrimping and saving and finding other things to do than just blast spells teaches a new player a lot of good stuff. And that it's a survival trait at higher levels. You know, your 18th level, you've got you know spells out the yin yang, but uh, you're getting close with a fighter; he's going to shred you. Yeah. A lot of people who play magic is just kind of like, go, okay, here's my spell, sleep. Like Nick said, they cast it, and then like the rest of the adventure, they're kind of walking around. Oh, my guy defends. My guy hides. He stands in the back. He, you know, nothing. At least uh, a player in my group right now actually has been pretty inventive with the darts so and, like, rocks and everything, which is very smart. Yeah, that's a good point. I uh, I, I know in uh, the regular group I got with the kids, there's a – it's not a magic, it's a druid, but she's doing a great job with those darts, <laughs> let me tell you. Yeah. I try to encourage the players. It's like, don't sit there, do something. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's always something you can do. I mean, even if it's a rock, one hit point of damage is better than no hit points of damage on something. So, I mean, you don't have a good chance to hit, but at least you can do something instead of just standing there. And then the article goes on about raising dead and then uh, planning appropriate encounters for a demon point of view. I don't know. What do you think about that, Nick? Planning appropriate encounters. Planning a... Well... I don't know, because this game is not really set up to be balanced as far as that's concerned. Well, I think the the idea of balance, I think, is already um, implied in the game. I think anybody who, any DM who who's reasonably knowledgeable about the rules that they're in front of them, particularly, you know, looking at the monster manual, I think you can go by, you know, the hit dice and what the abilities are of the creatures to what would be, uh, you know, a challenge to, uh, you know, first through third level characters. And yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just good judgment. Like you said in the article, uh, good judgment on part of the DM. And I think, uh, I, I don't think a, a, a DM with a, 
you know, with a bunch of first level characters is going to throw a type five demon at the, at the, at the, at the party. That would just be stupid. <laughs> that would not, that would not be a, my idea of a swell time, you know? <laughs> so. Well, it, it also, you can throw that type of demon at a party. It's also to see, it's also a role-playing opportunity. It's a t- an opportunity to get those people in the party to be like, not everything needs to be attacked on a pawn site. Yep. So that's how I kind of, th- I'll throw in a lot of monsters like that, and I emphasize their power as far as demons or something like that are concerned, especially with my campaign going on right now. The Tyranny of Asmodeus campaign. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of demons roaming around, minor demons, and I will point out to the party, this demon is, you know, red eyes, He's has this aura about him, and he's standing around, and you don't really want to mess with him, and I'll say things like that, and they'll get the hint. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe talk to him before attacking him, but, you know, there are those players. The only thing yeah. I, about the article I was kind of concerned about was, like, magic items. I don't know if I would... Yeah. I'm not a big fan of that, given first-level characters just magic items. I think they need the hunt for them. I agree with you 100%, but uh, there's actually quite a few people out there that will toss. Uh, you got to like, talk about a magic user giving them spells. They will give the magic user a wand with three charges. You know, so let's say a wand of magic missiles with three charges. Mm-hmm. In the grand scheme of things, it's not going to overbalance things, but it gives them a little bit something more he can do. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, true. And I don't do it myself. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, usually, second or third level, they start to find magic items. With newbies, I want them to figure out how to play their character first. Right. And then start giving them extra stuff. Yeah, you don't want to distract them with other stuff like, you know, wands and stuff like that. And where they get just dependent on those sorts of things. Yeah, true. And with teaching my kids, they were probably the lowest magic party I've ever run. And, uh, you know, again, you've got, in this case, a seven and an eight year old, getting them to figure out how to run the party handle spells and things like that. It it was enough at the time. Yeah, speaking of that, Nick, how's it going with your the kids campaign? How they did they overcome the challenges of playing and Oh, you know what? It is progressing along very well. They're starting to um I'm really seeing the the cooperation more. Yeah. Uh the coordination even better. Um uh, in fact, one of the, last night when we played, just to give an example, uh John uh, down the street, and his dad's playing. His dad's playing a, a dwarf. Uh-huh. He he his uh, he's playing a half elf. The half elf he has a he has a cloak of elven kind. They got in a situation where the uh, he won't, the dwarf had a crossbow. They had to take out this kind of trap that they found, and he won the. I kind of put the suggestion out there, well, you know, you guys have magic items that might be able to help out. And and John's like, well, I guess I can, you know, let him borrow my cloak as long as he gives it back. <laughs> so, and, you know, before, though, a few months ago, I don't think he would have done that. Yeah. But now it's now he's starting to see and a lot of other people are seeing that, you know, the party is like they're dependent on each other. That they need to help each other out, and that if it means like lending another party member a, a magic item that you have, and they'll give it back, then you know that's cool. And yeah, seeing a lot better interaction between the kids, and they're just they're really enjoying it. Definitely. 
Cool. And yeah, of course we have. Of course we cannot go through one issue without a Monty Python re- reference. So yes, that was in there. So Brian, you get props for that. <laughs> Hundred experience points for that. Yes. Cool. Definitely. Oh, Nick is at negative two experience right now. So we got to get Why him. Why am I negative two? I don't know. I just figured that out of my top. Hey. <laughs> Yeah, here's hey, the- not cool. You know, negative two. I'm butting in here. What? Just for butting in, that's negative two again. So, uh, wow, so you're a negative four, man. <laughs> so that's your hard DM. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No win. Yeah, like in the movie Gamers, you just lost 600 experience points for not making any sense and being <laughs> stupid or whatever he said. <laughs> So uh, we go over, flip over to the Savage Kobold. Is it is low level AD and D heroic or not? Was this the article you were talking about, Nick? Yes, it was. This is the one. Uh, this is my favorite article out of this issue. I think this is a. If you get this issue, I think this is a a must read for anybody who's ever gotten to those arguments with people who say that. Um, First edition AD&D is too hard, and characters die all the time, and you can't get characters up to certain... You know? You just cartman on me? Jeez. (laughs) You know, those people, they just say, calm down, it's okay. It's supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be difficult. It's supposed to, you know... And I I think in the article, he kind of... Uh, gives the um, it, it, it's kind of a uh, almost a generational thing uh, the mentality is you know people now they look at you know in, in pop culture maybe in superheroes and stuff like that from movies or whatever they our idea of a hero is someone that's completely uh, Im- nearly impossible to take down and it says in the article, since AD&D characters at low level are anything but superheroes, the game inevitably failed to live up to that individual's perspective was written off as non-heroic. <sighs> yeah. Now, yes. going beyond that, though, you know, he's, uh, he goes on to the next uh, part of the article while well, you talk about Tolkien and Lord of the Rings, those guys... You know, you got Frodo, Sam, Merry, and Pippin. They were just normal old hobbits living in the Shire. They didn't want to go on this adventure to destroy this ring who might, you know, you know, if Sauron gets his hand on it, might rule the whole Middle Earth. But that's what makes them heroic and extraordinary. Heroes are people who are n- normal individuals who are thrust in extraordinary circumstances and become more than what they originally were. That's a real hero. Definitely. And I, think that, and I think that article really sets that premise that it's ordinary people put in extraordinary, extraordinary circumstances and how they develop from there. And I think that makes a much more compelling story. Definitely. Good article. Good thoughts. I mean, you know, everybody has their point of view. So I was glad to see a good, well de- devised uh, point of view that isn't heated or written by somebody that's biased. So, yeah, I thought this is, yeah, and I think that kind of summed up the article in a nutshell. But I think anybody who's listening, yeah, read that article. It's great stuff. Yeah. 
And then we jump over to an article from Andrew, uh, starting at level one. Why bother? Nick, didn't you say you had an, a, an issue with this article to begin? Yeah, you know what? I don't like. I, I like the article. I just don't like the premise behind it. I mean, I start characters at first level. I mean, what's the point not doing it then? I, I enjoy starting them, but I don't agree with him. Take a look at any published module, first or third level, old school adventures, and you'll get the distinct impression that it really isn't for a bunch of first level PCs. I've never seen a problem with any of the modules, honestly. No, me neither. Yeah. Me neither. And I, I think that kind of harkens back to the other article where yes you have these characters who started off at whatever where they are in their lives are thrust in this extraordinary circumstance but they have to figure out situations yes you know uh keep of the borderlands does have an ogre and minotaur and bugbears in it but you know what it forces the players to think yeah how to deal with those situations it doesn't mean that you should just go in there and a willy-nilly and just start whacking at things without having a plan. It, you have to work together. If it, And like I think it said in a previous article, it, this is a game in one way or another forces a group to depend on each other and work to, together to coordinate, to plan, not just the single heroic uh, guy with the big honking sword Walking into a lair of bugbears and swinging away, and every head and every hit's a decapitation. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> no, and and when it suggests first through third level, it uh, it means that you know you can mix the party up between those levels or have a lot of first level characters or a few third level characters. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what, what I mean, what are some other things that I mean, yes. I I don't know. I'm just kind of a, I kind of at a loss of words. I'm like, I, I don't know. I mean, it was well written, but oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> what do you think, Brian? What's your thoughts behind this? I uh, when it's a brand new party, I start them at first level. Mm-hmm. If somebody gets killed, or when somebody gets killed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> If we need to replace a character, I usually start them a little bit lower than the rest of the party. Yeah. Although some people restart all characters at first level, which seems kind of silly. When you've got a fifth level party and you stick a first level in there and he gets killed, that's not really a surprise. Right. When, yeah. But I, uh, I the average what Andrew's party. saying here, even if I don't agree with it, it makes sense. And for especially with uh, DMs who tend to be a little bit more lethal... Yeah, it may make sense to start everybody at second level. That way the characters have twice as many hit points and uh, things are not quite as lethal as they had been. Yeah. may not be the way I do it, but it does make sense. Yeah, I, it's funny. Like that first article is like, oh, wow, that's really, really cool about, you know, yes, they are heroic and everything. And I get to this one like, hey, <laughs> this is like a rebuttal. <laughs> Let's just start everybody at second level. I'm like. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, and I agree that the Barbarian going up from first to second level of 6,001 experience points is a lot, but if you look overall of what the Barbarian gets, he's not a weakling. He's not, no. <laughs> he's not a class that can be easily walked over. He's something that can hold his own and then some. D12 hit dice. Yeah, and, and plus all the abilities. Yeah, granted, he doesn't like anything magic-wise, and he's going to 
want to break everything magic, but, you know, who cares? <laughs> yeah, he's going to be earning boatloads of XP for all the monsters going to be taken on. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I just cannot see how you can't, you, not to start characters at first level. I think that robs them part of the experience. I mean, that's just my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I start first level too, so I have no problem. I have no problem pulling punches or saving characters behind the screen. That's why I have a screen up, so I could say, oh, that was a miss when it was actually a 20 sitting in front of me. Yeah. Yeah, but obviously so you can't fix stupid, like Brian said in his article, so. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> okay, so we head over to uh, an article, Balance Character Generation, by Nicole, the editor-in-chief of the magazine. Interesting article. I liked all her thoughts in this, uh, up until the point of psionics, and then I went, oh, goodbye. <laughs> and I told her that, too, and she's like, well, it's not for everyone, so she's in the unpopular opinion about psionics, so I told her, no, I don't like psionics. I'll never use them. <laughs> we tried psionics. I actually rolled a character with psionics oh, well, 30 years ago, and we tried it for a while, and the decision of our group was it just didn't fit. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, other people seem to make it work and, you know, that's cool. Yeah. I, we had a long time ago, we actually did a show all about psionics. Yeah. And I think, uh, Jason had a pretty good psionic system that he, uh, devised. I even, I even think I, I threw out the suggestion. Well, if you're going to use psionics, why don't you just like modify the stuff out of the Gamma World game and just use that? I mean, yeah, that, that would be pretty compatible. I I'm not a big fan of it. In fact, if I even remember, Gary said that that's why it was in the appendices with the Bard. Well, yeah, he was, <laughs> it was he, just kind yeah. of an afterthought. <laughs> he was putting it in based on what he was told by the Bloom Brothers, as far as what I read. So, oh yeah, yeah, he put it in. Uh, Against his judgment, according to what he wrote. Yeah. yeah. But who knows, because sometimes he changed his mind when he wrote in forums, so... Yeah. I, uh, there's that. Yeah, there's that, too. So, that, too. But uh, I think with psionics, it's like, if you want... I guess if it, it depends on what style of game that you want, the flavor of the game that you want. If you want something that's, you know, really gonzo-type game, really, you know, weird sword and sandal type, you know, yeah, almost post-apocalyptic in a way. Mad yes, psionics works. But if you want to try to stick with a more uh, a medieval fantasy feel, yeah, psionics is not going to work for you. No, no. I I also the only only other thing I saw about this article I didn't really think was needed, but it was a very good ex- explanation. Was the social status? I think that's thinking a little too deep into the game, but I mean, some people like that. As far as generating a, a character social status for each character, um, she went into very, a lot of detail from lower lower class up to royalty itself. So that's how her games work. So if it works, do it. And I definitely enjoyed her mathematically challenged section, <laughs> which is me and the one of the mathematically challenged. Yeah, it's a lot of people always like. Well, my like she said in an article, my dice stink. You know, I never roll a good character. I never have eighteens. She has this nice little system here with 85 points distribute, distribute it among the stats starting at 14 and lower it and raise it based upon what you want to do. So I won't spoil that for you because it's a really good system. They could read yeah, that. Yeah, it is. 
and you can pretty much get a really good character based upon what you want with just 85 points. Mm-hmm. And uh, pretty much that's all I could say about that. Nick, you have anything to add about that? No, um, I thought that uh, pretty much wrapped up that article. I liked it. Yeah. So then we get another article by Andrew going characters with history. Uh, when I first read this article, I was kind of like, you know, mm, it was kind of, it kind of, when I first read it without just really a skim through, I was just like, well, no, when I make up a world, I don't tailor it to the characters. The characters tailor it to my world. So then reading it a second time, I was just like, well, maybe he's just giving it this point of view with mixture of both. So kind of back and forth, but I kind of make up the world and tell the players how it is and let them work from there. That's just how I do my stuff. But Nick, what about you? Um, I, I could see where Andrew was coming from on this. I, I some, some of this, when I was reading, it was kind of intuitive. I, I think I've kind of already done this. It's like I'll have the campaign world, but like I've always said, I'm a lazy DM. <laughs> I use pre-existing camway, campaign worlds. I use World of Greyhawk right now Yeah. for my AD&D game. Yeah. And right now I'm just kind of focusing on a particular era world of Greyhawk, but I had the characters, like they rolled up all you know, their characters and where they came from, and I just kind of sat there just for a few minutes with each one of them and said, okay, this is probably how you guys are meeting. This is how this is all happening, how you guys all met up. So that wasn't really detailed, I don't think. It no. was just it's just kind of on the fly. And I, and I have players that have gone and made up backgrounds, brought it to the game, and I've looked at it and I said, you know what, this is really cool. I will incorporate it into the game. Because yeah, sure. they took and the time okay. to write something If someone out. takes the effort, go with it. But I've seen a lot of players just be like, meh, my character's Bob, here's his stuff, let's play. And I don't care, because, you know, I just want to play too, so. Right. Yeah, but, I guess it depends how much they want to put into it. But Andrew did go into a lot of detail and benefits, drawbacks of each and everything, class by class. Very well written, very well very interesting. I did like the part uh, which he talks about guard dogs because a lot of PCs forget about they can use guard dogs. Yeah, mm-hmm. or zero-level hirelings. Yeah. I mean, that was the first thing I thought when my, when my magic users were two hit points. I was at the DM and said, can I please have a guard dog? <laughs> and he's like, alright, do you have the gold? I'm like, yes, I only buy a staff. What else am I going to buy? <laughs> so he gave me a guard dog, which had four hit points, so... <laughs> At least it lasts. Watch the Wawa. Yes. Four hit points you don't have to lose. Yeah. At least he was able to block four hit points for me, right? There you go. All right. So, and then we get into the, which I really love this article, the creature feature, which stole our name. No, I'm kidding. The creature feature of the Ecology of the Carrying Crab. I love the article. I love the description. How did you guys come up with this, this method, Brian? I, I love this. The... Um... I started writing little pastiches a couple of years ago. The characters in the fiction, yeah, Trajan and Marissa, are the grandfather and grandmother of my son Patrick's character, Jake. Oh, that's cool. cool. And I started writing these little pastiches, and Nikki had the carrion crab, and I, I, for the life of me, I can't recall where she got it from. If it, I can't remember if she invented it or if somebody somebody gave her an idea and she flushed it out. And she tossed it out there, and I just said, hey, I can throw some fiction on the front of that. And I was thinking back to one of my favorite articles from the old dragon was 
at Greenwood's ecology features. Yeah. Oh yeah. So so I just attacked it from that point of view. Yeah, I really love this kind of telling the story, weaving it in and out, and then you finally get to the monster and you have some great. I love the drawings too; they're so perfect for this. And I like this monster. It's a great, yeah, um, a monster for your first, second level characters to come up against. It's a hoarding, yeah. It's like a mass horde creature, which is really nasty in itself. <laughs> yeah. Some of the changes we made to it as we were discussing this was the idea of of making something that's going (laughs) to be a little bit of a foil to even higher level parties. Yeah. Get these things in number. You get 60 of them. You 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 got a a danger here. Oh, yeah. I love the quote. These things, they like the. And they're not. They're small as far as size category, but. You're talking a, a crab that's two feet in diameter. Yeah. That's a good-sized crab. A king crab. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Most definitely. Or like, what was it, that Japanese uh, spider crab, where it is, that lives off the coast of Japan? Those oh, get yeah. ginormous. Yeah. I like to quote, the tunnels are so clean, what cleans up all the debris? The carrying crab. The carrying Or the gelatinous cube, either one. <laughs> Either one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we needed some filler space there, so Nicole threw together a haiku. Oh, okay. That's cool. I managed to find a little scroll there to stick it in. and Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then we uh, we jump over to another article by Nicole, the Toy Box, pre-assembled equipment packs, which I've done quite a bit in my game, though she fleshes it out way more than I did. Uh, We're going as far as putting down bowls and cups and and cutlery and even as far as uh, the rest of it's similar. Yeah, rations, tinderbox, flint and steel, small sacks, water skins, wedges, uh, bedrolls, tents. I generally do what she has here for the basic standard adventures pack, except I don't go as much detail. I don't bother with, like, silverware and cups and stuff like that. I figure adventures just sit there and go, and just eat stuff, so... I mean, unless obviously, like, a, a Cavalier or something, then, yeah, you might want to write that stuff down. Yeah. Uh, I have to admit, uh, eating soup with your hands is a little painful. Yeah, a little difficult, yeah. Yeah, well, you put you take a stick, you dip it in, you eat it, and that's the end of it. I don't know. Yeah, have some bread along. There you go. Uh, yeah, I, you go, I like this article, yeah. too. It reminded me, actually, uh, there's... There is something actually similar when I was playing Hackmaster 4th Edition. They have, like... Um, you know, adventuring packs that you can buy. So this kind of reminded me of that. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Maybe she got influenced by that, or she came up with it all on her own. Either way, you know what? It's a great thing to have for, you know, who wants to hunt around for all that stuff between a whole bunch of books and everything? It's like, oh, cool. I got a list of everything right here. This is the pack that I want. Boom. Done. Well, knowing Nicole after talking to her, I assume she's probably been doing this for quite a long time. Yeah. Yes. But I know that they did incorporate this idea in later editions of D&D. I know Fourth, for example, has adventure, standard adventure packs and things like that. I think 3.5 might at some point as well. But I know she's probably been doing this since she's been able to roll a die when she was a little girl. So. <laughs> and then we have some uh, awesome spells for various classes by Andrew, most of them. Looks like I Andrew roll. produces spells... I, I can't. I've known the guy for a year and a half, and he astounds me. <laughs> uh, we're actually getting ready to publish our third 
uh, supplement. Mm-hmm. It's a spell book from Andrew, and it's I think we're at forty eight pages. Whoa! Um, Just spells? and that's after we cut material. <laughs> uh, he'll send me a file once in a while. Oh, I just, you know he was bored some night and. Or he was walking the dog or watching his kids play or something. And, oh, I just invented three spells. <laughs> it's, it's just these are really good spells, yeah. especially yeah. for, you know, uh, the magic user where they don't have to just depend on. And, the, and these, I think they're all first level spells in this issue, too. Yeah. And uh, yeah. the feet is the feet of strength spell and mighty blow. Great spells for a magic user right there. Yeah, the mighty blow. Yeah, all of them by Andrew, and then we have one die by Lee Connor, and then Rachel Strange, which are all excellent. I I've banged out some spells from my game, but I, I probably couldn't do it as much as Andrew. Like you said, just bangs out three spells in a little while. That's amazing. He's produced more spells in a week than I have produced in thirty years. Wow, <laughs> and that's not an exaggeration. My only specialty is taking Pokemon monsters and banging them out to first edition D anD. d Yeah, we've, we've been down that road. <laughs> I could snap a finger and I could write up a D anD. d monster for a Pokemon, and people are like, "Why?" I'm like, "Look at them; they're perfect monsters." Anyway, <laughs> there's my plug: Pokemon.com. <laughs> anyway, we have a quarterly mini adventure, which I assume that every adventure um, issue, I should say, you guys are going to have a little mini adventure in there. We're doing at least one adventure. Uh, we've got this, and we've got the one-page dungeon, and uh, the, yeah. the odd th- and one page means front and back of a sheet. And the funny thing here is that our two adventures here were both one-page dungeons. Now, my understanding was the one-page dungeon was only one page was in front. That was it. That was what the contests were, at least. Uh, our version of it is front and back. Front and back, with no map on this one that, that was written here. Yeah. You said basically yep. it's, it's described, and the DM could sit there and make out. Uh, the map as he sees fit, but uh, you don't really need it if you, know, you just go by how it's just written, yeah. which you can. A lot of things, you really don't need a map. Well, I invent stuff on the fly. I've done in, entire adventures. I sat down, made up 12 encounters, <laughs> and did everything completely from my head, and nobody knew that I was making it up as I went. Yeah. <laughs> One player in my group knows when I do that, too. Uh, Celestrian on the forums, Mike, he knows. He's just like, you know, you just did that on the fly. I'm like, well, I'm not telling you, <laughs> but he knows. He knows when I make stuff up. In fact, that was one of the emails we got that we'll be reading in the next uh, letters to the editor. That he one encounter that I made up. He figured out that it was on the fly. He's like, oh, that was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and we got our, uh, another article here, uh, featured fiction, gathering at the Smoky Tavern, which Nick had uh, alluded to in the beginning of the uh, uh, yeah review. That, that was a funny. Uh, uh, story. I'm I'm reading that, and I'm like, you know, <laughs> yeah, that all that stuff would sound weird for somebody who didn't know. <laughs> what really got me is when she, uh, the the barmaid she goes, a first level what? Some kind of secret society? What the <laughs> hell was dexterity? I'm like, oh man, yeah. Now I get it. <laughs> now I get the story. <laughs> Okay, yeah, it was a great article, and uh, we're not going to ruin it for any, ruin it for anybody. So take the time to read it. It's just one of those things. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, Brian. Were you guys? Fun. I, I have I have all the rest of them downloaded. Have any chance to look at them this week? Since I really found them, are you guys going to incorporate uh, any comics or anything like that into this later issues? Maybe or 
We would have to find someone who's actually writing a comic and wants to publish. Uh, we haven't found anybody with that interest yet. But if you did, you would consider. Oh, absolutely. Oh, okay, good. Uh, we would definitely consider a comic. Uh, we're uh, some of the later versions or later issues. You know, we put in some comedy items. We got some fake ads. Um, yeah. I think we got a death notice for someone. You know, character who ran into something they shouldn't have. <laughs> And another of my favorites from the old dragon was the comedy. I oh, yeah, the like cartoons Dragon and stuff. Yeah. Yep. Me. And uh, when I got the uh, Dragon Index, or the, uh, the archive, yeah. one of the things I did was is I'd never read all of Wormy because I started uh, subscribing partway through. So I went back and I just, issue by issue, just reading Wormy. Hey, it's a lot of fun. That was the best one out of there. It was it was sad when that, when that stopped, just... Boom, out of nowhere. Yep. And then we, uh, at the very, very end, we have for further reading, which is always very good, the Dragon Dex, the Dragon Magazine Index, which now you can include archive.org now for the magazine downloads. And uh, Fight On Magazine, Knoxville. Are they still doing Knoxville? I thought that was done. Uh, at the time we published this, it was, as far as we knew, it was active. Right. And I always pronounce this wrong, Oubliette Magazine. <laughs> That is a great magazine. I love talking to him, the, the author, about that. And uh, every once in a while, I'll just chat with him. And we've done various reviews on Save or Die of this magazine. So definitely worth picking up. And then finally, the map at the back of the back, at the back of the magazine, which is any history behind this map? Um, any, is this your we, map? We got, we got to the end. We were putting the magazine together, and we really didn't have... An, we were expecting an idea to jump out at us, yeah. and it didn't. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, it just got lumped on me, and I was just thinking the title Unfinished Territory is just kind of an old-school map. The type of thing, uh, you've got a map, you've got a key with some interesting stuff, and what's the DM going to do with it? And we tossed it out there as an idea that someone is like, there's a metal statue. And if I was looking at this map and stocking, it's like, okay, what's this metal statue? What am I going to do with it? Right. It's, it's more to get people thinking. Uh, I don't think the reception of this map was all that great, but I, I'm not massively attached to it, so I didn't feel bad. <laughs> well, it's basically you're giving somebody a quick map to jump to, which I think is a cool idea, because if I was playing Especially game, if you're a lazy DM like me. Yeah, someone like Nick, who, you know, doesn't have the time or just uh, laying around watching TV, scratching his butt, can pick this map up. <laughs> have you been peeking in my windows? I'm not telling. Okay. And uh, Like for issue two, our first map, because yeah. we do one on the inside of the front and back covers, it's a bank. Someone, uh, one of our uh, readers said... You know, hey, I'd like a map of a bank, so we put together one. Oh, cool. cool, yeah. And we're trying to, every issue, we're trying to do something that's mostly topical. And there is an article on a bank in issue two, so we uh, we threw a map in. Issue two, I'm looking on the back, the very, very back of this is uh, Undead. So yep. I'm looking forward to actually taking the time during work, of course, to read issue two. <laughs> Because I love Undead. That's one of my favorite things to play oh, yeah, with. Oh, yeah, me too. Undead. There's some entertaining stuff in there. Undead and Demons, definitely. You guys going to do it? you have anything planned for Demons, I'm wondering? Not yet. Uh, let's see. Our uh, next issue is Magic and Magic Items. Right. 
Then we're doing Wilderness Adventures, Inner Plains, and then Urban Adventures. At least that's our current plan, and this is always subject to change. Uh, if someone comes in with a hot idea, we'll... Uh, right, right. We'll, we'll, switch to, uh, we'll switch tracks. Um, nothing's graven in stone until we actually publish. Oh, so yeah, definitely. And we're always looking for ideas, you know, you know what do people want to read? Which where we can contact you by letters... Yes, letters. Uh, uh, if you look on the back page, we got letters at anmag.com. We've also got submissions. Right. Um, yeah. Definitely check submissions at nmagazine.com. And, uh, and mag, sorry, and mag. And letters, if you like. Are you guys going to have uh, pretty much an advice column like Sage Advice had or how we have Sage Advice? We had talked about that, but in the Internet age, people are going to forums. It the thought would be it would be kind of far behind the times, plus the fact that no one's actually asked us any questions. Oh. Now, when you get to, uh, I think it's issues two, and I know issue four, uh, I post questions to Tim Cask periodically, and we, and we joke about the Wayback Machine, if anybody knows what that is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'll ask questions, and Tim will toss answers out, and he's given us permission to reprint. So, Oh, that's cool. Off and on, and uh, I, I'm in touch with some of the other guys that uh, formulated D&D, and uh, in general, these guys are all cool. Uh, Tim Cask, Frank Menser, Jim Ward, uh, a few other guys, and, you know, ask questions, and uh, as long as they're willing to let us do it, we'll, we'll post it. Because, again, the people who read one particular forum on one particular site will read this, and we're trying to, we're trying to expand beyond that. We, we want to, you know, just cover everybody. Right. Okay. So overall, magazine, I would definitely give it an eight and a half out of ten. Nick, what about you? Cool. I give it two thumbs up. Nah, Nick. Point out of ten. Oh, point out of ten. Uh, nine out of ten. Nine out of ten. And Brian, cool. what would you give your? Ma- oh, never mind. You're the writer. So. <laughs> we can't give you. You can say ten out of ten for you there. Actually. When you guys said you wanted to do our first issue, yeah, uh, as a group, we considered this our weakest issue. Really? But if you're happy with it, it's like, hey, this is cool. Oh. I mean, if we can get an eight yeah. and a half out of ten on our in yeah, one more time inaugural issue, <laughs> hey, I can't argue with that in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, I purpose, purposely picked this one because it was low level adventuring, low level adventuring. Neither can I speak today. And uh, I know a lot of people ask questions about that, so we figured it'd be a good starting point as well as it is your starting point. So I guess that uh, pretty much going to wrap things up. But I do have one question left for you, Brian. And I sure. Have to, I have to ask this per Andrew, so otherwise you probably oh, kill boy. me. Here it comes. Yeah. Uh, if you were, you're going to get off easy, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you were a household appliance, which one would you be, and why would you be that one? He emailed earlier and said, and the the answer I gave him, I probably can't use in the podcast. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it's going to be an appliance. Yeah. Household appliance. Which one? Probably a refrigerator for no for no particular reason, just because it's always there in the center of things. All right. That's fair enough. I mean, someone cool. in the past said iPhone, which doesn't make any sense, but hey, why not? <laughs> So uh, next issue, we'll be back. We'll be talking about N4, I believe, Nick, right? Uh, yes, talking about Module N4 Treasure Hunt. 
I think that's that'll be a good one. Not a whole lot of people familiar with that one. Yeah. Including myself. So it'll be a real fun to do. Good adventure for a brand new starting party of new people, yeah. uh, new players, and also for a new DM as well. So we yeah, figured we yeah, throw that advice for there. zero level characters. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how you start at zero level and you build your character throughout the adventure by using this module. So it's really interesting. So we wanted to just throw it out there for people to listen yeah. to. It's a unique approach. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we'll get on top of that next week, and we'll be back with that. Matt will be back next week. Unfortunately, he was under the weather this week. So yeah, we got to get him a you know some Kia Tom ointment or something like that, or get in touch with a cleric. Yeah, probably one of those things, or you know who knows. Anyway, uh, Brian, thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast. Yes. Thank you for having me here. This has been a lot of fun. Oh, glad you glad you enjoyed it. Uh, hopefully, uh, people come to your site, give you start throwing letters at you and give you more things to be annoyed about. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> As with fandom. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it doesn't matter what they say. It's better than being ignored. Very true. Very true. So I guess I'll have to say keep it original, keep it old school, and good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. Have a good one. <laughs> Roll for initiative.